Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by Bull Realty. It is my company for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Visit bullrealty.com or contact me directly at Michael at bullrealty.com. Well, I'm excited about the show today. One of my favorite guests of all time is here is KC Conway, Red Shoe Economist. He's also the CCIM Economist and joining us here in Studio One. KC, great to see you. Thanks, Michael. Always be glad to be back with you. Thank you. You know, and I think everyone's uh, interested to hear uh, your view on the economy and real estate and what's going on. You know, it's been uh, kind of a crazy time. You know, here we are in um, November of 2022. Uh, and I guess since March, we've had, what, three and, and uh, three quarters uh, increase in the Fed rate? Yeah, and, we've had four of them in a row. <laughs> in a very short period of time. And it's really uh, in, in creating some pricing discovery and, and some uh, uh, really Tough planning, I guess, uh, moving ahead for, for lenders and investors and, and, and equity out there. Um, what do you expect uh, for you know, what we have the Fed meets in December? Uh, what's the expectation there? I think we'll get another 75 basis point increase. And the, the best hope is maybe in early next year, they start to slow it to maybe 50 basis point. But they're in a rate hike mode, I think, well into at least mid to late next year. But I think we get another 75 basis points. You know, you were at the Fed at one point, um, and as an economist, uh, what do you think about it, it, it being moved this quickly? Doesn't the, don't these rate hikes need some time to really take effect on the economy? Absolutely, and I think you know Jim Board at the St. Louis Fed and Esther George at the Kansas City Fed have really been saying that you need to pause to understand you know kind of what you did. It's kind of like when you're cooking something on the stove, you need to take a taste test. <laughs> they forgot to take a taste test on what's really going on in the economy. Um, but they're, you know, they, they failed at their first mandate on inflation or price controls. And so their their plan is to let's go ahead and destroy the second mandate, which is full employment and put us into a recession. I just, I, I don't fully understand it. You know, and remember this is the Fed that 18 months ago said no inflation, transitory, transitory longer, forget we ever said transitory. And then in January, oh my God, there really is inflation, but we're not gonna do anything. There's no meeting in February. Let's hope it all goes away by March. And then they go into six rate hikes. Yeah, and I remember <laughs> interviewing you long before, you know, when, when the Fed was saying it's transitory, it was not, and you were uh, early on saying, no, this is not transitory. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, you know, my forecast at the end of last year was that we would see a 4% 10-year treasury um, by the end of this year. And people said, oh, you're crazy. And I said, well, I am, but I'm also right. <laughs> and my forecast now is I think we can come dangerously close to a 5% 10-year treasury, despite the head fake on the CPI this morning at, you know, below 8% and the third quarter GDP. We got to remember what, we got to dissect this stuff and understand what's head faking and influencing that that isn't going to be there the rest of the year. Yeah. And- you know, we're in a bit of pricing discovery and it, and it varies really for the different property types, obviously, in the, in the classes and locations. But, you know, when you think of the value of commercial real estate with these type of rate hikes, what would you tell us? 
Uh, that's where you need to be doing your forward homework because the <clears throat> the lending environment, you got to understand what the Fed is really telling the lending environment. They're saying quit lending because it's inflationary. <laughs> so I'm hearing from client after client where deals that are set to close within 30 days that have commitments and the banks are pulling out on them. Mm. Uh, um, and uh, so we got to understand that's the mindset that if you lend money, that's stimulating the economy. And the Fed says, don't do that. <laughs> it's like a Seinfeld episode. <laughs> no debt for anybody will shut inflation down. Mm. <clears throat> and, that won't, and that won't work. So uh, I think that's the real concern. If you look at what's happened, there's two steps that happen in this process. Step one has been happening. So expenses are growing at two to three times rent growth. And so when you have that and you got an apartment property that's, you know, 40% expense ratio, um, you have a, your NOI goes down, same cap rate, you're about a 10% loss of value. That's already happening. That's what we're seeing happen. Step two is now you got to go and close on that loan or you got to bring your capital in or you got to buy a deal. And you look at a 3% 10-year treasury and now maybe a 45 to 5% 10-year treasury. That cost, when you do a band of investments, say, okay, what's what does that cost structure, capital structure do to my value? It's about a 25% hit. It's not happening yet. That's what's going to play out next year. So you put the 10% with the 25%, and that's how we end up with a third loss in commercial values. So if the Fed is messaging to the big banks to to slow down or, or control uh, debt, and the mm-hmm. banks actually do it, it's seemingly to me as a, a broker looking at it that they're, the banks would be creating uh, in the Fed their own their own problem with their own assets because they're potentially reducing the value of, of the properties that they have existing loans on. No, you're 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 applying common sense to monetary policy <laughs> in a central bank that is 99.9 percent academics. They never made a loan, broke a loan, fixed a loan, transacted a property at all. They don't connect these dots like mm-hmm. we do in the industry, and that is a legitimate concern. And it's mm-hmm. you know I'm hearing from just look at the bank earnings and how many of them have said what's what's going on, how even they're seeing investment banking activity slow at the Wall Street banks, the commercial banks. Just look at here in our southeast region. I give you any number of that have said don't call me until mid next year. Mm-hmm. We we are closed, mm-hmm. and that's community, that's regional, you you name it. So it's it's playing out very much so right now. Are we in a recession? Absolutely. So, you know, I was fully confident in that the first two quarters we had negative GDP and then we get this third quarter GDP that said, oh no, it's all over with, we're up 2.6%. And I looked at, I always look at common sense when Austin Goolsby says, uh, keep your seatbelt on. <laughs> what happened in third quarter, we had three things that nobody, including me, really connected the dots to. So the first thing is the strategic petroleum reserve releases were accretive to GDP. So we did 190 million barrels of oil into the market. We didn't have that in first and second quarter. So we brought energy prices way down. So that's new economic activity. Second thing we had is we had massive defense spending to help Ukraine. So does that continue? But that wasn't in there in the first and second quarter. And the third thing is we all discovered Europe's on sale and the dollar's strong. So let's all go to Europe for vacation. (laughs) You take those three things out we're a negative GDP. And I don't see anything that suggests to me that we'll see a fourth quarter positive GDP or next year. I think it's. I think we're in tough shape. Well, would you call the Fed so they quit raising rates? So then we're already there. We're already in a recession. I think they have a shoot on site order if I get near Tim Peachtree. <laughs> <laughs> Bostick is not a fan. Yeah. But he's wrong. <laughs> it seems like, uh, you know, if we could get oil and gas prices down, it seems like to me that that impacts uh, inflation almost in, in, in most products. Most products are delivered right. Is, is that, uh, is there some, semblance of reality there and what do you expect for oil and gas prices moving forward 
Yeah, so I think uh, we saw our come down with the SPR releases and bringing it down a dollar a gallon. We're seeing we're heading into the winter. We're seeing how severe the supply disruption is going to be in Europe and how much there, our stuff they're going to need. So highest bidder drives the price. So I think we go back to over $100 a barrel here by the end of the year and well above that into the first of the year. The other thing that concerns me is we had, there's most of us heard of um, you know Davos, Switzerland. They have the big economic meetings. And so there's also a Davos of the desert. It's where all the oil producing countries meet. They recently had a meeting and the Saudi, the Saudi prince uh, is very upset at the US for doing this SPR releases and manipulating oil price. Can you imagine that? One of the OPEC members is, uh, is upset that we are manipulating oil prices. <laughs> and he had this dire warning uh, to us. And he said, it is my profound duty to make it clear to the world that losing emergency stock, speaking to us with our SPR, may become painful in the months to come. Running out of capacity has a much deeper cost than what people can imagine. That statement, that keynote speech was not covered by the national media. And in my mind, I said, that's the equivalent of the 1973 Arab oil embargo. We better pay attention. Energy prices are not going down, they're going up. It sounds like a threat. It was. I, I think absolutely, and not one of the national media would cover that speech. Yeah, and, and so it, it's amazing. So a lot of people feel that you know if we can produce more oil in the U.S. and and that 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 would help the matter. But we just had the midterm elections. Is it, it, it going to happen? Yeah, I don't think so. Unfortunately, us so in here in Georgia have to go through another four weeks of political advertising that, um, you know, in my opinion, regardless of what side you're on, you probably couldn't have surfaced two weaker candidates to lead, you know, our economy and our state here in Georgia. But um, it, it's sad, but I, I, I don't know. We basically will end up back about where we were. We, you know, one seat swing. And again, Georgia determining the power of the Senate, looks like. Yeah. So no oil, no oil independence for the U.S. coming. I don't see it. You know, I don't see this administration. I don't see the Senate being able to get through Senate a new energy bill. Um, you know, when I speak down in Texas, I, I tell all the Texans, you know, to, to keep fracking, to keep that colonial pipeline going. And that if those at the end of the northern end of the colonial pipeline don't behave like Pennsylvania, just shut them off. The rest of us will be very grateful for that oil. <laughs> <laughs> so this Saudi um, threat, if you will call it that, um, with related uh, to oil, can you send that to Biden and the and the crew? Let them know, hey, we we might need to open up some uh, oil capacity here in the U.S. Are you ready for this? <laughs> Biden was there in attendance. Oh, okay. and totally clueless. I don't know if they forgot to put it on his cue card in his pocket or whether he was mm -hmm. taking a nap because of the time zone. But he was in attendance and no comment from the White House. No mm. question from the press corps. Interesting, you know, and and part of the uh, economy has to do with the supply chain and what's going on uh, there. You know, what do you see moving forward there? What's going on? So it's exciting. So I've been advocating for a long time, even before COVID, that we were remaking our supply chain from a California West Coast concentric model from LA Long Beach to Chicago and the rest of the East Coast to more of a North South because that's where all but one of our railroads move. Uh, it's where most of our ports are that are upgraded. And so if you remember last Christmas, we saw over 100 ships backlogged to the port of LA, Long Beach. Guess how many were backed up this past week? Many. Four. Wow. And guess where the most of those ships went? They're coming here to our Gulf and our Southeast ports. So the Port of Savannah, there are 22 ports in the, in the Atlanta Fed Reserve District. So if you go from New Orleans all the way around to Savannah and Brunswick, 22 ports. Guess how much research and reports they produce? Zip. 
It's no mm-hmm. wonder the Fed misses supply chain. And they have more ports than any other Fed district. San Francisco's number two. And so guess what we're seeing at Savannah right now? We're, we've been seeing over the summer over 40 ships backlogged to unload. Those extra 30 from the 10 that used to be there, those 30 all were calling on LA and Long Beach six months ago. So we're seeing this whole supply chain move. You got the Gulf Coast, you got Mobile, you got Port Freeport in Texas that can move and connect all the railroads. And we've got Savannah, Brunswick, and, um, and Charleston that are, Charleston's a is growing and here's the other thing that's happened la long beach is no longer the busiest container port in north america mm. it's new york and followed by savannah so we in the east coast have already overtaken and displaced the west coast so this is if you're in the east and you're in the south and you need supply chain and you need supply chain infrastructure we're the place you need to come yeah interesting you know one of the things that impacts the economy is the consumer spending right in the u.s we, we like to spend our money <laughs> um, and of course the uh, e-commerce is being uh, growing uh, what do you think about consumer confidence when you look at uh, what's going on in e-commerce today yeah so two neat thing well neat it's unfortunate so if you look at the university of michigan and its consumer confidence which is the longest longer than the conference board so their all-time low in consumer confidence was in 1980 and it hit like 23. Um, it hit a, 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 an even lower number uh, this this past June. So consumer is really bad. It's bounced back a little bit over the summer because energy prices came down, but that's going away after the SPR releases stop. But here's the new metric I stumbled onto trying to figure out the Amazon effect and always looking in there. So there's a little retail company many of you may know called Coresight. They just do incredible primary research. The Fed ought to have them on their you know, FOMC, pre-FOMC meeting. And so they started studying what are consumers doing with their cart in e-commerce. So the normal cancellation rate was about 10%. So think you got to go find the good, you got to get the coupon, you got to get all your information and credit card in there. It's about 20 minutes, maybe 40 minutes if you're like me that's over 60. Um, <laughs> so you get all that in there and the cancellation rate has been about 10, 10%. Guess what it was the past 90 days? 75%. So the consumer is really rethinking the hitting the button and purchasing that, that cart stuff uh, in their e-commerce. And to me, that is one heck of a forward-looking indicator that we better be concerned about. Yeah. Hmm. That uh, is surprising. One of the, the sectors that seems to be most in question uh, these days is the office sector. <laughs> what do you think about the office sector moving forward? Uh, so when I go to the varsity and they say, what do you have? Office is never on the menu. <laughs> so here's a story on office. The key indicator I look at is the castle system that invented all the technology for our key cards to go in and out of the office. And they've been telling us not even half of us are going back to the office. And then we're getting reports out of pension age and NACREF that are telling us the pension funds are saying, you know, we've already lost 10 to 20% of value. We don't want to lose 40. Let's start liquidating these assets. So I'm hearing, getting a lot more calls from big funds and whatnot saying, what's the price? What's the value? What should we do? So Castle System is telling us half aren't going back to work. Um, I think the model is that we will use office, but in different ways. And I don't think we're going to use office in the big urban CD way, uh, markets. It's going to be suburban. And the suburban office is very strong. It's many chunks of small space that I can lease as a company for my employees to have team meetings or to meet with a client, but none of them want to go downtown. None of them want to do public transportation. Um, and I'm paying too much for it. And if I got to cut costs, uh, I'm going to cut it. So I'm very um, bearish on urban CBD high rise office, but the suburban mid rise type stuff, I'm, I'm very, um, very bullish on yeah. just for you. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you, um, you know, look at the market, uh, and you look at, you know, interest rates today, 
um, and where they are. You know, some folks in our industry uh, have only been in it for 10 or so years and they've had really low rates and, and, and strong growth. What would you say to those folks who, when we look at today's interest rates and look kind of historically at, at interest rates in, in the market? So go back and study a little bit of history. So when you look at the 70s and 80s, when we went to, by 1981, a 21% prime, you know, my dad was a ski resort developer. I don't know how he functioned and, and how we did business. I mean, my first mortgage in Phoenix was 10.5%. He said, take it, it'll never be below 10%. <laughs> so we've been spoiled on cheap capital. And this is compliments of the Fed and they didn't do the connect the dots research to figure out how do you ever under, underwind or unwind all this free money supply. And so we're going to see things that I think five, a ten-year Treasury or you know interest rates that are in a five to seven is pretty decent. It's a new norm, but we're not prepared for that. Mm. And so we're leveraged up. We're used to free money, and we're going to find that we're going to need more equity in deals. Um, we're going to have to renegotiate with the banks uh, if they don't want a complete loan loss on a building. They're going to have to negotiate. They're not there yet. Um, and so I think we're also going to have to look at things like the auto industry. So look what happens when interest rates go up and how the auto industry responds. They buy down the interest rate, make it think like you're still getting a one or 2% you know, loan on the car, but they put it on the back end, it's all about the payment. So we're gonna see everything in commercial real estate and finance go back to the payment and not so much the value of the asset. And so figure out how that works. Yeah, interesting. And you know, there seems to be uh, a lot of uh, liquidity, a, a lot of money out there f- for commercial real estate. And uh, um, if the uh, if there's less buyers in the market and there's a slowdown in activity, I guess for some buyers that uh, like to buy cash, it could be an opportunity, especially if you're looking at real estate kind of as a long-term hold, right? Absolutely. You know, we got to go dust off our original appraisal classes about this thing called the principle of substitution. So in an inflationary environment like this, the next of anything that you buy or build is going to cost more. So the long-term investor gets that and they say, okay, if we're seeing construction costs and everything go up 10, 15% a year, getting this building today over two, three years, I'm getting it a quarter to a third off. So they understand the principle of substitution and they do a replacement cost estimate to see where they are in that deal. I think the second thing you know that goes on here is that we're seeing different capital sources come in from around the world. So Vietnam, South Korea, United Arab Emirates. So I was just on a, a call on a program a couple of weeks ago where the UAE says, we want no leverage. We'll just pay cash. We can do it fast. We can uh, offer certainty of closure, and uh, we're very realistic on on where we are. We want to we want to get the best assets that everybody's throwing out. So look beyond. I think our domestic pension funds, our banks, they're all locking up. So where do you go to get that capital? And equity may actually come out being cheaper than our debt capital here next year. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting if you're looking at a, a long-term hold typically for commercial real estate, and if there's less buyers in the market, if because of higher interest rates, you're getting a lower cap rate, I mean, a higher cap rate, you're, you're paying a, yeah, you're getting a higher cap rate, right? A lower price. You're, you're at a lower price per square foot, right? And if yeah. you do a long-term hold, I know I've got some properties that I've, I've owned a long time, and it was, it's now, it's, when I look at it, it's like, well, what did I pay per square foot for it? The cap rate at the time, the interest rate at the time, doesn't seem to have as much bearing on a long-term hold, right? Yeah. So it's like, am a scarred multi-generation MAI. You know, my dad taught me, you know, go get your MAI so you can learn how to manipulate value, <laughs> whether you're a buyer, seller, or lender. Yeah. And, he, and he was right from the perspective of, there's a reason we do three approaches to value. Yeah. So the pure cost approach, it tells us 
you know, where am I in the re in, in replacement costs? Am I yeah. up too high? Am I down too low? So we've been way too high. Now we're coming back low. So it helps you put that in perspective. That cash buyer gets it. We then do an income approach. That's what we most rely on because we're trying to figure out the income. What happens when vacancy goes up and rents are, you know, you don't know what they are and you don't know what the cap rate is. You don't know where it's going. So the income approach becomes less reliable. So then I go back and I look at the sales comparison. So who are the active participants? Their equity, their different different entities out there than we've been dealing with. They're telling us where they're willing to go between that, you know, maybe high replacement cost and the income approach where I have no no certainty or definition where I'm going. So really, I, I think go back to the discipline of forcing all three of them. The last thing I tell all my appraiser buddies, they're not all supposed to come out the same number. Reconciliation isn't forcing that. They should be a diverse range there because the cost approach is just dealing with the sticks and bricks in the land. The income approach is dealing with a lot of other stuff and leases that you may value, intangibles, going concern. And so they should be a range there, but you should understand why there's that range. And then the sales comparison approach tells you where the market's performing. Yeah. You know, we're seeing as, as brokers selling commercial properties in the Southeast, we're seeing some buyers come back in the market that didn't want to buy at four caps, right? And yeah. now they're seeing higher cap rates and they're back in the market. So there are buyers out there and we're seeing uh, uh, activity. So I think the price discovery uh, is, is underway, right? Um, where do you think there are some opportunities for investors in commercial real estate today? That's a really good question. So I'm more bullish on the secondary markets and the suburbs. We've, we've waited a long time. I've lived in the suburbs in Atlanta for mm -hmm. almost 40 years, and I've been waiting for <laughs> it to be on fire and I not have to go you know, downtown. But the secondary markets, you look at uh, Huntsville, Alabama, you look at even a Gainesville, Florida, you look at um, uh, you know, a, a, Mo a Mobile or a Montgomery where they just got the inland port, support their port. The secondary markets are on fire. And if you look and follow site selection, where is Toyota, Mazda, VinFast, all the EV manufacturers, you know, where are they going? They're going to secondary markets. They're not, because they need the workforce, it's affordable, and they're really coming to more of a southern direction. So I love the secondary markets. And then the suburbs, because I think this is as much a watershed event as when the GIs came home from World War II. And they said, we're not gonna come back and live with mom and dad in the you know country club neighborhood. We're gonna go out and create this thing called a suburb and a regional mall, and that's what's gonna be the driving force for commercial real estate for the next four decades. I think we're in something like that, but it's it's in a reverse and different things. The millennial workforce, the young workforce, even people like myself, Michael, don't tell anybody this. I really don't want to go back to the office. <laughs> I love working remote. Yeah. Uh, my, my office is usually a Delta Crown room at an airport somewhere. Yeah. And um, when you look at all that overhead and that cost, unless I'm in small chunks in the suburbs where I got to meet, I've got to interface, I got to have a team meeting, that's what works in the big downtown office building doesn't. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I think there's a lot of professions uh, similar to yours where that, that does make sense and, and you don't need it. I mean, you're your team is kind of spread out anyway. You you travel a lot, speaking around the, around yeah. the world and dealing with uh, clients, you know, around the country, right, and around the yeah. world. But uh, I'm I'm really uh, I think office that does come back. And and uh, I said this last week on the show, but I I have the solution for the world. All right. <laughs> anybody would ever listen to me, they wouldn't. Uh, but to the work from home remote, and uh, you know, I think there are a lot of benefits for employees to be together and learn from the older yeah. uh, people, learn from the younger people, and the collaboration. And I think for the companies, you know, the the cybersecurity, the trade secrets, the onboarding, the having a sense of belonging, and, and all the benefits. And I think some companies are having that push and pull where they'd like to have folks back for 
all the benefits of their employees and the and the employer. Um, and some employees are like, you know what, maybe the office is okay, but I certainly don't want to do the commute, and I don't want to do the commute. So I have the solution. Let's go to a four-day week. There you go. Now let's go. Monday through <laughs> that, Thursday. That's what the Fed does. That's why they miss, you know, twenty five percent of what's going on in the economy. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think you know, I read the other day that that, that it seemed like the article was surprised that uh, production, employee production, is is down. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? Why, why is that? Why is that surprising? Yeah. Uh, you know, when I I don't like working at home, I love working at the office. But I, when I did work at home, there's distractions. There's a refrigerator. You know, there's Pets. the dog. There's the family. <laughs> you know, uh, there's the, the toys and the TV and, and Netflix. And, and uh, you know, I love these uh, employee surveys when they uh, survey employees and uh, and 90 percent of them say they're more productive at home. Well, here's the challenge. Netflix says the opposite. <laughs> just, you, you know who else says it? So yeah. the Castle system, mm-hmm. they started tracking instead of just their back to work barometer. They all now are tracking what's what we're doing when we're not at the office. And so we are back to 100%, almost 100% of going to NBA games, going to college activities, going out to restaurants, uh, you know, travel. We're doing everything but work, yeah. you know, at 90 to 100% of what we did before COVID. Yeah. The other one, though, I think you're on to something. So you've probably heard the acronym FOMO, fear of missing out. Yep. And our young workforce, and we've had it with our own, and said, you know, you can do so much, only so much on a Zoom or whatnot. But, you know, to be able to be working on an issue and I can pick up and I can go down to your office and have you walk me through and spend a little bit extra time rather than trying to schedule a Zoom meeting, it's huge. And we know the acronym in our industry, out of sight, out of mind, there's no promotion for you. So I think the young workforces who I'm hearing from is saying we, we probably need to get back, but they don't want to do the commute. They don't want the cost, but they're saying the employees are middle ground is get me into the suburbs near where I live. Yeah. Casey, what would you leave our audience with to think about commercial real estate uh, and the economy moving forward? Here we are at uh, November of 2022. So what we're going through now is what we were supposed to go through a year ago. Most of us had our best years ever, and it didn't make sense. Um, this is the unintended consequence of bad FOMC policy. I mean, you put you know almost $20 trillion in the economy, $9 trillion from the Fed, and another $12 trillion from Congress you just don't sop that up and not have inflation. So they didn't connect the dots. So what we're going through now is what we should have gone through a year ago. Number two is that the best performing asset of the three classes, equities, bonds, and real estate, through every recession, commercial real estate powers through. You get a coupon paid on someone paying rent, and the next one in an inflationary environment costs more to buy or build. So if you entered the 70s with real estate, you, you exited in the 80s pretty wealthy and did very well for the next. So don't give up on real estate. As tough as it seems, um, you know, we'll, we'll, be, we'll be there. Uh, Jimmy Buffett had an album cover that said, you know, if it's tough, breathe in, breathe out, but just keep moving on, right? And uh, Yogi Berra said, you know, you can, you can learn a lot just by observing. And what we're going to go through, observe with peers, observe with people like you and me, where maybe our hair won't make it through another recession. (laughs) I know mine, it's, you know, three or four ones that it might not. The last thing I would say very seriously, our number one challenge we're going to face is capital for our industry. We are a capital intensive industry. We thrive when we have good affordable debt and we die when we don't. And so you need to be looking at when things are maturing, when things are callable, um, who, who is still in the market. Because a lot of the banks right now, if you read their earnings, you read what they're telling you, um, what they're saying is um, 
we're, we're essentially being told by the Fed not to lend because lending is inflationary. And so they're contracting all of their commitments and saying, maybe talk to us next, mid next year. So again, the value of community banking relationships, the value of credit unions that do lending, we're gonna have to think capital in a different structure. And you're gonna have to do more pencil work to figure out how do I make this deal work when it worked at a four and a half to five cap rate because I had a 3% 10 year treasury, and now it doesn't work other than maybe a seven to eight cap rate when we're at a five, four and a half to five percent tenure treasury. A lot of elbow grease is going to be done around the capital side. And I think those that hadn't been around even 15, 20 years are going to learn some lessons. Hang around with people like yourself or me. We'll, we'll help you figure it out. Good advice. Well said, KC. Great thank information. You. <laughs> thank you for joining us, sir. Appreciate it. All right. And thank you for joining us around the country. Hey, we'd like to know what you think. Feel free to reach out to us with by email, social media, you know, there's this other thing that I uh, sometimes uh, hear people use an actual telephone and you can actually call. So uh, reach out to us anytime you want. And thank you for joining us. Until next week, be sure that you always lead, learn and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show. the show? Consider referring business or doing business with our sponsors. Bull Realty is a commercial real estate sales, leasing, and advisory firm doing business throughout the Southeast, headquartered in Atlanta. Visit bullrealty.com for more information. Commercial Agent Success Strategies provides video training for commercial agents. This training gets five-star reviews from even the most experienced brokers. Learn more at commercialagentsuccess.com. You're invited to connect with us on your favorite social media. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't miss a show of special interest to you. Be sure and subscribe to the show on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. And at the show website, CREshow.com, you can subscribe for a weekly email announcing the show topic and guest. While you're there, you also found more videos and podcasts. Thank you for watching or listening to America's Commercial Real Estate Show.